Welcome to episode 175. Do you have energy slumps throughout the day or feel that you need to eat every few hours or even every hour to avoid feeling dizzy or sick or hungry? Or maybe you just know that you eat loads of times each day and it's leading to weight gain, gut and bowel movement problems, and you know something just has to change, but you feel controlled by this inner need to eat constantly and particularly going towards sugar and carbohydrate-rich foods. If this feels like you, then you're in the right place. Not only has this podcast as a whole got your back on this kind of topic, but this episode specifically goes into detail about the early signs, the signs that most people are unaware of when it comes to dysfunctional blood sugar and insulin resistance and all of the pre-diabetic signs and symptoms that must be sorted out as soon as possible so it doesn't become full-blown medication-dependent type 2 diabetes, which is running rampant in our Western society. There's a lot that can be done before it's far too late. So let's start chipping away by getting stuck into this episode. Let's dive into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Great to have you back here on the show for another mind-melting episode. If you're new here, I've got to share this year's mission with you. So in 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food because nobody wants to do that, right? Uh, Now, on today's show, we have a wonderful human that has become a good friend of mine across the last six or nine months. Uh, We're a part of a small group of friends that all have businesses in the health space, and we do digital co-working sessions together and masterminding about more ways and different strategies that we can come up with to be able to support people just like you listening to get healthier and make better choices in your day-to-day life. And so, I want to introduce you to this amazing human who is Danielle Hamilton, whom is a functional nutritional therapist and restorative wellness practitioner who specializes in blood sugar regulation and digestion. She became interested in blood sugar issues when she learned that insulin resistance was the root of her PCOS or a polycystic ovarian syndrome. She was able to reverse her PCOS, cystic acne, PMS, and weight loss resistance by reversing her insulin resistance, aka getting control of her blood sugar. After having such massive, massive success with her own health, her mission is now to help others uncover their blood sugar and insulin issues, as well as help them optimize digestion for low-carbohydrate diets. Danny promotes a holistic approach to reversing insulin resistance, which goes beyond just changing your macronutrients. And just like all great people in one's life, she's the host of a podcast called Unlock the Sugar Shackles, and she is the creator of the Blood Sugar Mastery Program. Danny, hey, welcome to the show. Hey, Maddie. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to have you here. It's like we, we're always hanging out in this kind of informal setting, and now I feel like we're trying to be professional together. <laughs> I know, right? I'm trying to keep it together and be like, oh, you're so cute doing your podcast thing because I see you all the time, you know, in the same <laughs> setting, but now we're, we have to be professional and, you know, keep it together. <laughs> I know. I even like put a shirt on for this occasion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, by the sound of it, like I've heard your story a few times and you've recovered a lot of things about your body that were going wrong 
and I know you were taking sort of, you know, that original, original path of sort of Western medicine and you surrendered at one point to the idea of it's my bad genetics, which I think a lot of people listening, you know, have probably come to that conclusion themselves or their doctor has told them that they must just have bad genetics. But I'm really curious, along the journey, something must have happened for you to make space for the possibility that maybe you were being told information that wasn't totally accurate. What was that turning point that made you start questioning the conventional medical dogma that you were sort of being given? Yeah, that's a great question. And no one's ever asked me that before. I would have to say that that really was the result of me. I was working as a speech therapist in a long-term care facility. And at the same time, I was experiencing all these issues with my health. I had really bad seasonal allergies and I lived in Miami, Florida. So the season was all year round. I had asthma. I was on multiple prescriptions and inhalers and getting shots and having chronic sinus infections and getting all these antibiotics. I was a mess. I was falling apart. I was in my early twenties and I was like, there's something wrong with this picture. So I was going into these doctor's offices, asking them, why is this happening? And no one could give me an answer. And I just felt like my body's falling apart and I'm so young. This didn't happen to my mom's generation. Like this wasn't happening to my mom and dad's generation. I always used to notice how come everyone in our generation needs braces and how come I had glasses when I was eight and contacts when I was 10. Like I started noticing all these things and no one had an answer for it. Um, if you know, pot, do you know Pottinger's cats? Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. So that was with the teeth and all that. Um, and, um, yeah. And of course, Dr. Weston A. Price, that can explain a lot of that. I'm sure many of your followers are nodding their heads. And if you don't know about it, don't worry about it. But anyway, so I was working in a nursing home and uh, or like a skilled rehab center at the same time that my health was really, really deteriorating. And here I was looking at doing all these chart reviews for people who were in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. And they had these lists of diagnoses that were an entire page long and then two pages long of all the prescriptions that they were on. And I saw this connection. I saw this parallel. I was like, oh my goodness, I am like right here with these people. And I just knew in my heart, this isn't normal. This isn't natural. And I wouldn't believe that this was what my destiny was. And I used to think people, you know, our ancestors didn't have all these medications. They didn't have all these problems. If we were, you know, in cave people days, they weren't having these types of issues. Like they were dying from infections. They didn't have antibiotics, but this wasn't happening. I knew in my heart that there was something wrong. And so that's when I discovered uh, Rob Wolf's book, The Paleo Diet Solution. And that's really what flipped everything on its head. And I realized everything that we had been told about nutrition was basically wrong. And honestly, if you do the exact opposite of what they tell you, you'll be a, a heck of a lot better than if you do what they tell you. So that's kind of when I figured it all out. I love that you correlated like the mouths of children with like your own health journey and being like, there's these changes that are happening so rapidly. Cause there's a book on the shelf here for those just listening. It's um, Deep Nutrition by Kate Shanahan. And the first half of that book is about, yeah, basically the mouths and faces of children changing as mothers become more nutritionally deplete. And so, yeah, and their IQ being correlated with that and their face shape and their physical structure. The arch, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so and the lengthening of, of faces. 
Yeah. So we, in our modern world, you can see I have a narrow face and mm-hmm. I had braces two times. And the people mm-hmm. in these books, the more of who were eating more of a primitive diet, they had wider faces. They were more beautiful and handsome peoples as described by Dr. Weston A. Price. They had these wide dental arches that could accommodate all their teeth. So they didn't have this crowding. They didn't have this susceptibility to cavities, which we do now uh, because we're so minerally deficient and, and fat soluble vitamin deficient. And as the mothers get more and more nutritionally deprived, their offspring in in that immediate next generation show it in their reproductive abilities and their physical structures, like as you were saying. So it's pretty wild. And it's interesting that I picked up on that little change as a kid, (laughs) but this is something that people have been studying. So I wasn't (laughs) good thing. Smarter people figured it out before me. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. And I think it's interesting as well. Like it's because it's kind of twofold, right? It's not just that we're born into a sugar carbohydrate rich world. It's like the vessel that the human is made made from is deficient. And then we put it in a nutritionally deplete and not just nutritionally deplete, but actually nutritionally destructive world. And it's like, how does anybody have any hope? (laughs) I feel like I just got chills when you said nutritionally destructive because it's never been described that way. And that is such a good way of describing the modern diet. It's not Mm. only deplete of these nutrients, but there are such harmful, destructive structures and molecules and, and additives and gluten and, and not to mention all the chemical stuff and all the preservatives and the, the pesticides and herbicides and all these things. It's so damaging. And we, If you think about all that, we as humans are so incredibly resilient (laughs) that like, I can't believe that we can survive with just such (laughs) such minimal nutrition. Like we can really soar with the, like the minimal and, you know, we do have these symptoms, but it's incredible what happens to the body when it is given the right nutrition. So I love the way that you just described that. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Well, thank you. And I don't know where it came from. It just came out. But um, but you, as you say that, I was thinking too, like a lot of people sort of talk about the fact that, you know, everybody signs up to a disease now, right? It's like, oh, at about 50-ish or maybe even younger, I'll begin the path to the end and it'll be a painful 20 or 30 years. Um, and so we spend, it's, it's like, the death age is the same, but we spend a few extra decades dying. Um, and so it's like this, it's like who wants to live like that in this, you know, nutritional world where, where, yeah, everybody just subscribes to, I wonder what my genetics are going to, you know, result in. I wonder which disease I'm going to get. Like it's some kind of lottery. <laughs> oh, totally. And I was talking to my wife about this today, that so many people have this mentality, well, this is just aging. Like, oh yeah, all these memes Mm. online, like, oh, I'm 30 because my body hurts. And it's like, does your body hurt because you're 30 or because you stopped moving and you're eating like crap? Like what is, is it, is this natural aging or are we able to really live super healthy, happy, pain-free, disease-free lives for much longer than we think, right? And I think this mentality of, well, you know, everyone in my family has X, so I'm going to get that. To me, that feels like this victim mentality or a cop-out or an excuse to not do the work because there's so much. And that's what I think that people don't realize because so many people out there have been like, oh, I tried to change my diet and nothing that nothing changed that much. And so if you're trying to, you know, switch from 
white bread to whole wheat bread. And you're going from like Lay's potato chips to baked Lay's potato chips, not much is going to change. So you, Mm. you know, I'm, I'm using these silly examples, but I'm saying that a lot of people have tried a lot of things, but maybe they're, you know, cutting calories, doing the, you know, a South beach diet or weight watchers, and they're not really deeply nourishing their bodies. So they don't understand how profound the changes from changing your diet and lifestyle can actually be. I mean, I had severe allergies. I was allergic to so many things. I needed to get five shots because I was allergic to that many things. And I was developing new allergies all the time. I was allergic to palm trees and I lived in Miami. It was crazy. And I had asthma and was getting this as a 20 year old, not like a little kid getting asthma. And I switched to a diet just with real food. I literally just took out processed food and dairy for me, which I happen to be sensitive to. And all of those things reversed. I never had allergies again. It's like, that's a miracle that it is just a miracle how when you really get at the root of something, how much your body can change. And I think that in addition to people not recognizing how much they do have control over with their own health and their destiny is that it's our responsibility. You know, it's our, like we can, when we step into that shoe, like into that mindset of like, oh, wow, I'm the one who needs to take control of my health. It's it's not going to be my doctor. We step into this role where it's like, wow, I have this big, you know, responsibility now and it can feel overwhelming, but it's also really, really empowering when you take your power back from these doctors who might be gaslighting you and, and telling you like, oh, you know, it's just anxiety. It's just in your head. Like you just have to take this medication. You have to take the pill because you have PCOS. Like my gynecologist told me who I fired right after that, you know, it's like, (laughs) we get all this terrible messaging from people. And when we realize that it's our responsibility, it's a big responsibility, but I almost feel empowered that it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to change this and I'm going to make a difference in my life because I have so much control over this. So there's so much that I want to unpack in the, the bit that you just gave. But the, the the first thing that's coming to mind is that you touched on in there that like a lot of this information is out there. And I think because our modern Western society puts uh, medical doctors and the medical establishment on such a pedestal, we kind of forget that they're actual human beings. Uh, and we think that if they don't know, then it must not be true. And we've seen that in the last two years, right? With the, with the the way that the world has gone, if medical doctors and professors aren't saying exactly what we want them to be saying, then they must be wrong. But if you actually go into the, the literature, the research, the and, and even if you don't really subscribe to the modern idea of science, which I can totally understand, but there's tons of nutritional research. There's tons of research into traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, you know, um, all these different types of practices, naturopathy. Um, That's why supplements, you know, are so successful as well, because a lot of them are backed by clinical trials. So it's like, it's all out there in abundance, but we just, just the people that sort of modern society looks up to don't have access to this kind of knowledge. Well, at least they do by choice, but you know, they're so overwhelmed with their medical degree, which is no small feat. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's more than one voice that needs to be in this conversation about getting healthy. Because I think when we, when you talk about the fact that we need to go on this, this journey and it doesn't happen over, over, you know, overnight or over the weekend, we are kind of sub- we're subjected to the pill for an ill model of like 
I'm so used to being like, go to the doctor, have, you know, 10 days of this pill and then I'll be fixed. Um, whereas if we're recovering our body nutritionally, it really is like a six to 12 month to multiple year project to rebuild the biology that we have spent, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 50, 70 years slowly destroying. A hundred percent. And I think that that pill for every ill really stays with us because then we come to natural health and it's like, well, what supplement can I take for my migraines? It's like, Mm -hmm. we need to step back from that. What's like, okay, you can't replace a pill with a supplement and be like, oh, that's holistic. It's not holistic. The word holistic implies that there's a whole, we're looking at the whole picture. So that means yes, supplements are part of it. Diet is part of it. Um, light exposure, how much you're getting outside, access to nature, your um, stress levels, your community, your movement, your exercise, all of these things matter. And so if we look at, you know, what's a pill for my migraine, it's like, well, we have to look at all these areas, you know? And so people don't like that answer because it's hard, but that's really where you see the the true reversal of these health conditions, like chronic health conditions that people have lived with for years that they think is just a part of them now. And these things can truly go away. And it's about looking at all those little pieces. So I talk to my clients and my students about moving the needle in all these areas because we are we also have to get out of the mindset that there's one single cause for anything, right? So mm-hmm. we have the one pill for like a one cause thing. If it comes to like, oh, we have one bacterial infection. So we take one antibiotic and that will get rid of it in 10 days. That's the mindset for an acute infection. That's that's all that works for, right? So if we're mm-hmm. talking about chronic diseases, we know that it's diet and lifestyle coming into play. So it's all of these different things. So it's like, okay, what am I doing with my diet? What am I doing with my movement? Am I meditating? Am I like reducing my stress levels? So it's this game of like all these different things. So you're not relying on one thing to fix you. So you have a little bit of improvement everywhere. And that's where you start to take steps in the right direction. So that's more of that's again, getting away from this Western mentality. It's really helpful to think in that sense. So it's a little bit more well-rounded and it's just much more beneficial. (laughs) Yeah. No, I totally agree. And the other thing too is that whilst Western medicine has its place and it's really good for acute emergency medicine, investigative medicine, like you can't get a better system to get a diagnosis. Um, But at the same thing, even for those acute things like taking the antibiotics, whenever we introduce a chemical that is not of nature because you know we're animals humans are of nature there is usually somewhere in the system no matter how small a biological cost and mm. so it and that's why like you know with the whole nutritional therapy thing it's like if you introduce an antibiotic to the system you have to follow that up with fermented foods and and probiotics to repopulate because yes you might have removed the problem but you've also removed a bunch of other things that you didn't need to remove in the process because a lot of these antibiotics are broad spectrum and they're creating antibiotic resistance, which is a huge problem for our immunity moving forward and our kids moving forward. So whilst it's got its place, we also have to understand that it should be supported by nutritional therapy because it also does damage at the same time. 100%. Couldn't agree more. My gut is so messed up and people will say, but Danny, you eat so healthy. It's like, I can't out eat 
years of multiple rounds of antibiotics every single year of my life for the first Mm -hmm. maybe 20 years. So it's like, I can't imagine how many rounds of antibiotics I've taken and Mm -hmm. to come back against that. Like I'm on my second round of a gut healing protocol and I was kind of frustrated because I didn't see the progress that I wanted in the first three months. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I need to also check myself and be like, how long did it take to get here? How many rounds of antibiotics did you have to take? And so it's like, okay, see a modest improvement, going to keep going with that and be patient. And it's hard. It's really hard when, especially if you're struggling and you're suffering and you want answers. So, you know, my heart goes out there. I mean, I, when I was struggling with PCOS, I ended up taking pharmaceuticals because I was just so fed up with, I was trying to do everything in the natural route and it wasn't happening for me. And I just wanted some relief and, it so there's no harm in using a pharmaceutical as a bridge or if that's what yeah. you need that's what you need right you haven't found it yet that's okay it's not like oh you lose because it's like don't worry but also don't give up you know keep looking and keep also supporting your body you know do a little check what are these you know what is this pill depleting in my body because oftentimes like you said there is a cost it could be damaging the microbiome it could be depleting certain nutrients like the pill for example is depleting you of nutrient nutrients so you can go in and sort of counteract some of that that harm that it's doing at the same time you're still working towards finding those more uh, foundational root cause answers I love the term that you just used as a using Western medicine or the pill for an L model as a bridge. Mm-hmm. I really think that makes a lot of sense because sometimes we've got a, a, Western medicine irrelevant. Like the Western world is so incredibly toxic, like, you know, with pollution and with plastics and all sorts of different endocrine disruptors and carcinogens that sometimes we, yeah, we need an equal toxin on the other side to actually get our body back, but then we need to recover it naturally. So I, the, yeah. a bridge is a perfect word to use for Western medicine, I think. Yeah. And I think even for, I I use that term also when we think about people who are struggling with uh, mental health issues. So we use, Mm -hmm. like, it's a good way to think about it like that too. So if you're struggling with depression, it's like, yeah, get on whatever you need to, to make yourself be able to function so that you can start working on healing the root cause. So it's whatever you need to get by. So, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, my doctor recommended metformin. I don't know if I want to do it. It's like, well, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world if you have to take a medication, but there can be, you know, better options out there. So Mm-hmm. Just don't don't feel so bad. Don't beat yourself up because <laughs> I know that I was yeah. at one point. <laughs> totally. We're all on our journey, right? And if, yeah. and if people are listening to this podcast, they're obviously looking for alternatives or for strategies to support the journey they're on, right? Yep. Yeah, 100%. And it's not to say that it's not a failure. I think that's another lesson that keeps coming up in my group coaching that, oh, I had to take, um, you know, a pharmaceutical. So it, it's like a failure or I tried to get off sugar and I binged and I, you know, I couldn't do it. None of these things are failures. They're all learning experiences. They're all Mm. experiences. And what you extract from that experience is really what is the important thing. So okay, so you had to take a pharmaceutical. What is it doing? Like, what is the, the, like, what is the function of that medicine? So I took metformin when I had PCOS. I didn't look into what metformin was. Metformin is a drug that lowers your blood sugar. 
if I had known that, I would have been like, oh, this blood sugar lowering drug is helping my PCOS. Hmm, maybe I should look into blood sugar. I didn't because I didn't know that, right? And so that would have been really helpful for me um, because maybe you can see some of the mechanisms that would be helping you, right? Um, but also, like the when you're taking these pharmaceuticals, I think that it's. I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought once more. Um, but yeah, so I think that it's it's going to be. Oh, I was talking about the failure. So then when we have, if you are eating a diet and you're having a lot of sugar and you're trying to get off of it and you can't and you think, oh, I, you know, I binged again and I'm, I'm such a failure. I can't do this. Well, it's not a failure. It's like, what happened? Were you emotional? Were you not prepared? What is going mm -hmm. on? Were you trying to bite off more than you could chew? Were you trying to change every single thing instead of just taking one next step? Were you trying to completely eliminate snacking and do intermittent fasting and your blood sugar was crashing and that caused you to have severe cravings and overeat because of that? So these mm -hmm. are all things that we can learn and try to adopt and change for next time because it can really, really help us be able to come back stronger next time because they say success is built on multiple failures, right? So it's not about failing. It's not about not failing. We can't, we have to get rid of this toxic perfectionistic mindset in this realm of trying to recover from chronic diseases because perfection is just going to, if we're trying to give A plus work, we're, life happens. We're not going to live up to that. And I yeah. tell my clients, give me B plus work. Give me, or for my, you know, straight A students out there who have B plus is giving you hives like me, um, <laughs> give me A minus work, you know, <laughs> like give me just, um, I don't know if you use those terms in Australia, but just like, you know, not aim for like an eight out of 10 or seven out of 10, because these little habits that we adopt are really moving us forward. And the perfectionistic will, type of mindset will stop us in our tracks. We'll have analysis paralysis. If we need to do it perfectly, it will be impossible to get started because there is no such thing as perfection in nutrition. I'm such a recovering perfectionist and I went into a into a profession that there's no right answer. There's no right answer. Yes. And and it's like it tests me every single day. And people are like, well what how many grams of protein should I have? I'm like, I don't know. And guess what? It's going to change every single day. So I can't tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, I don't want to hear that. Tell me exactly what to do. I'm like, sorry, totally. I can't do that. So it's, you're never going to get it right. And there's always going to be learning and lessons from it. And so that is, that's the game. That's the challenge. That is what this whole journey is about. It's like learning from each step keeping some things, taking some things away, staying flexible and just continuing to do better than the day before. And it's not going to be linear. So, yeah. <laughs> so picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. 
Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it, skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Totally. And and based on like, you know, you've been talking about sort of solving problems holistically. If we take this perfectionist attitude and we even if we even get it right, we're actually just increasing the stress on our system and the cortisol and the adrenaline response because when we don't quite get it right or we fail or we feel like we're doing it wrong, that self self uh, like we're beating ourselves up in our mind and we're judging ourselves and not giving ourselves permission to be fluid and flexible that increases the stress on the system and so we've just got we've just shifted the problem it's like we got the food right but we've increased the stress over here because we're in this cycle or in this pattern of trying to achieve perfectionism in a world and in a body where yeah it's you can't get it right and your nutritional requirements will change and some days some days you can get it right and things still don't go right you know what mm-hmm. i mean like yeah. It's the like if everybody listening reflects on their life, there's probably good moments, there's probably bad moments, there's probably times where they made the right decision and it went wrong. There's times when they made the wrong decision and it went right, you know. So I think just giving ourselves space for for the fluidity of, you know, the human nature to to exist and that to be okay is gonna lower the stress on the system. And and I find that with my own clients, when people start to actually just give themselves permission to just go with what feels right. Not only do they actually end up making better choices and decisions, but just lowering that stress and judgment on themselves just frees them up emotionally to be like, it's okay to be me and to be where I'm at and to do it the way that I'm doing it. And it's just such a relief. It's like, it's, it's not even about the physicality or the weight loss or anything like that. It's just like, oh, I just feel better being in my own head, which is so much nicer. <laughs> totally. Love that. So good. Um, so talk to us about blood sugar. Cause I find there's, you know, you're the expert on it. And I find there's a lot of misunderstanding in this space due to the sort of big food company funded advice, pumping that idea that you need to keep your blood sugar up by adding in more snacks, more snacks. And I read a study uh, last year that was saying, that Americans on average eat six to 11 times a day, which is, you know, just a lot. Um, And so, you know, people obviously got this fear and it's kind of this fear mongering advice about getting dizzy or having low blood sugar, you know, it's dangerous. And there's this kind of fear mongering. So, you know, medical professionals and and advertising uh, encourage people to keep eating. And because we're responding from a fear-based place, we end up eating low nutrition foods, usually high sugar because we're trying to boost that blood sugar, right? So we're going for the really high sugar foods. And so when it's fast and easy, you know, it usually is not healthy either. And so, look, I don't know what they did 500 500 years ago without jelly beans, but (laughs) can you give us a bit of a breakdown about what blood sugar is, what it means and how food impacts it? Sure. So blood sugar is just the amount of glucose in our blood at all times. And the body likes to have about a teaspoon in the blood, give or take at all times, but it's a small amount. And the body likes to really keep this amount very tightly controlled. And so 
it has a lot of different mechanisms to make sure it stays in this tight, healthy range. So I go like this because I'm very vis- visual. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm holding my hands out in front of me, kind of like an equal sign, um, indicating what would sort of appear on a continuous glucose monitor. So if you think about, you know, the X and the Y axis. And so we want to keep that blood sugar in this tightly controlled range. And so if when we eat usually carbohydrates and sugar, sometimes protein can have this um, blood sugar raising effect as well. And when we eat and digest that sugar, the amount of sugar in the blood will rise. And sugar in the blood is not really helping us out in any way. So the the pancreas will uh, under will sorry, um, will determine that the blood sugar is going up and it will start to pump out this hormone called insulin. And insulin's job is to take sugar and put it into the cells of the body to be used as energy or to be stored as energy for later as body fat. So sugar Mm -hmm. gets stored as body fat or it gets used right away. So As the insulin levels are going up, the amount of sugar in the blood is going down because the sugar is going into the body, into the cells, into the muscle, into the heart, into the brain. And so too much insulin is going to lower blood sugar too much. And that's where we can get those blood sugar lows. And too much insulin happens oftentimes when we are eating high carbohydrate diets or eating too often because we're constantly asking the pancreas to pump out insulin over and over and over and over. And blood sugar goes down rather quickly, but the insulin takes longer to come down. So over time, these insulin levels just start to rise, start to rise, start to rise. So then sometimes when we eat, even if we eat a whatever regular meal, it doesn't even have to be super high carbohydrate, we can get too much insulin because there's already insulin circulating, we get too much of an insulin response to the meal and then our blood sugar can go really low. So when the blood sugar is sort of crashing, we can feel a lot of symptoms that feel really bad in our bodies. And these symptoms often are accompanied by cravings for carbohydrates and sugar because the body is sensing an energy crisis. It's like, oh no, the blood sugar is going low. You better get me some more energy ASAP. So some of these symptoms might, besides the cravings, might be irritability, anxiety, intense hunger, dizziness, shakiness, uh, nausea, headaches, sweating, heart palpitations, all of these symptoms, uh, brain fog, difficulty concentrating, all of these things are telling the brain, like we, the brain is saying we need more energy because it's sensing the blood sugar is going down, right? So Mm -hmm. if we have a healthy metabolism, the body can use its own body fat to burn for fuel in the meantime. But unfortunately, these high insulin levels, if this is present, high insulin blocks fat burning. It blocks lipolysis. So high insulin levels are telling the body, store fat, store sugar, store, store, store. So these people tend to be gaining weight have no energy because they can't access their own stored body fat, which is stored energy. And they constantly are getting these cravings. They're feeling hungry. They're, they're eating and they're not feeling satiated and their blood sugar is crashing. It's causing them to seek more carbohydrates and then they're gaining more weight and they can't lose weight no matter what they do. And so this is a really common pattern I see in my clients. And then eventually we can develop insulin resistance and Insulin resistance happens kind of rather quickly. And 
it's when insulin levels are elevated in the blood for too long, the body almost immediately starts becoming a little bit resistant to the message of insulin. So this is just like I say, you know, if we have a shirt and we put on it on and like the tag is a little scratchy and it's itching us a little bit. And then mm-hmm. we're in a few minutes, we're okay. Like we don't really notice it. Or if, you know, my, my headphones were turned up really, really loud. I was listening to music because there was a lot of background noise and I had to pause it. And then I pressed play again. It would be so loud, right? Because my ears had already developed that resistance to that message. So our body does this really quickly. So with insulin Mm -hmm. resistance, when there is resistance at the cellular, cellular level, the insulin, which is like a key that opens the cells of the body to let that sugar in, they mm-hmm. stop sensing the insulin there. So it's, it takes more and more insulin to be like, hey, we have sugar, let us in. And so what happens is that the sugar can't get in the cells and then the cells are empty. They don't have anything to make fuel. So you feel exhausted and then you start to develop these high blood sugar levels. And this is where we see people developing diabetes and prediabetes with these high blood sugar levels. It's caused by this insulin resistance because the insulin can't get into the cells. It can also happen when the cells are too filled with sugar to begin with. So that's another thing that can happen. Dr. Fung talks about that a lot. Um, he says that, you know, like you just can't, it's think about a suitcase with a bunch of shirts and the insulin is like the hand pushing in the shirts. And sooner or later, you just can't fit another shirt into that suitcase. But then with type two diabetes that they they're prescribed insulin. It's like getting more hands to help you push more shirts into the suitcase. It's like, that's not how you solve a problem. That's not how you fix the disease. You have to stop putting in shirts, right? The shirts are the sugar. So we have to start taking those out and using them up. So we use them up when we exercise, when we fast. Um, I know you talk a lot about fasting on your podcast. And so these are really great strategies to bring down blood sugar. Of course, I do work with people with the hypoglycemia where their blood sugar is dropping. And so they can't be fasting right away. But um, there's people at all different areas on this blood sugar spectrum. And it's always at insulin resistance is always underlining the whole thing. So blood sugar and insulin go hand in hand and insulin Mm -hmm. is a hormone and it affects all other hormones. And that's why in women, it can tend to raise testosterone, which leads us to develop PCOS or have hormonal imbalances, estrogen dominance. In men, it can cause too much estrogen as well. And that can cause fertility problems in men as well as in women. So we have sugar affecting every single cell in the body because every cell in the body has a receptor for insulin and sugar. And so we Mm -hmm. can get symptoms all over the place, Um, not just the fertility, but literally everything. So um, that's my long explanation. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's amazing. There's so many places to go with that. So I guess you touched on there, like uh, people that, you know, do experience these symptoms uh, and and kind of can't go into fasting straight away because they are so metabolically inflexible. Um, Can you dive into that? Because a lot of people that might be listening uh, may have already tried stuff from previous episodes or other stuff they've learned. And they're, they're hitting this wall where they're like, Oh, I can. I, I feel dizzy. I know. I know it's not meant to happen this way, but I feel dizzy 
and I feel these kind of symptoms, what is that step that needs to take place to start getting away from that that fear of a low blood sugar or that physical symptom before we can then actually break through and actually be like, oh, I survived, I feel okay, my body adapted. What's that step? Yeah. So there's three main things that I look at when it comes to this person who is having these blood sugar crashes. Um, so it can be also known as reactive hypoglycemia or just having these hypoglycemic moments. It's very common. This also, um, people who wake up in the middle of the night with their heart pounding and having mm-hmm. panic attacks in the middle of the night, most often it's driven by these blood sugar crashes. So I just wanted to say that because a lot of people will get gaslighted by their doctors who are saying you have anxiety yeah. disorders. This, um, this, these blood sugar crashing symptoms can also happen at any blood sugar number. And that's another thing I want to put out there because a lot of people will test their blood sugar and be like, my blood sugar is fine. So it's not my blood sugar. You can still be having this perceived energy crisis by your brain because of that metabolic inflexibility, that lack of ability to burn fat efficiently for fuel. That is really the key. So What's happening with these people who have this, I'm just going to call it hypoglycemia for, you know, for ease. Mm -hmm. What I see happen is there's three things that need to be addressed. Number one, we need to add fat in the diet. So we already know that we have to start lowering the carbohydrates a little bit, but what is missing from all these recommendations. You go to any doctor, any classically trained dietitian, and they'll tell you eat protein and eat complex carbs. That's how they tell you to manage this hypoglycemia or reactive hypoglycemia. This is garbage advice. This will make your condition worse. So if you are listening and this has happened to you, I believe you. The advice that you're following is making you worse. That is absolutely going to happen because we need fat to stabilize the blood sugar and fat is the other energy source. People don't realize that carbs are energy and fat is energy. So we need to either one of these has to be raised. So if we're lowering the carbohydrates, we have to raise fats because we need to give ourselves energy. So a lot of people will eat protein and they'll eat carbs and they'll try to lower their carbohydrates. And now they're having protein, which can also convert to glucose via the process gluconeogenesis. So they're mm-hmm. basically still having just carbs and they have nothing to stabilize their blood sugar with. So fat is your best friend. It's like the log in the fire that burns low and slow. Carbs are like kindling. They burn hot and fast. So we need to stabilize with fats. And I'm talking about lots and lots of healthy fats, getting rid of those toxic vegetable oils that will directly cause your receptors to be inflamed and to give you insulin resistance. So vegetable oils have to go. Those canola, rapeseed oils, um, soybean oils. I'm sure you've talked about that enough on this podcast. Then we need (laughs) to lean into those healthy fats from well-raised animal products, full fat dairy, if you tolerate it as high of quality as you can access. We want to get the fruit fat. So avocado, olive, and coconut and all their oils and all their products. And um, some people do well with nuts and seeds. Other people are super against them for the PUFAs and the anti-nutrients. Do what you mm-hmm. can, <laughs> do what works best for you. Um, but getting lots of healthy fats in the diet and having meats that come with the fat already. So don't do a chicken breast, do a chicken thigh on the bone with the skin, extra butter, you know? So we want to be loading up the, the plate with fats. That is really going to be key. The other thing is that I saw a study that said even one episode of hypoglycemia 
is indicative of adrenal dysfunction. So there's huge adrenal dysfunction, adrenal fatigue, HPA axis dysfunction, whatever you want to call it, in everyone who has this reactive hypoglycemia where they can't keep their blood sugar up. So Mm -hmm. the adrenals are one of the major organs of blood sugar regulation. So it's really, really important to support them. And we can do this with proper um, minerals, vitamin C, B vitamins. And then there's a lot of adaptogenic herbs that can be really helpful and potentially even glandulars. Um, So like adrenal glands of another animal for a lot of people, this is too stimulating. So, you know, work with a practitioner, find what works for you. But unfortunately, adrenal, and I will tell you from experience, you cannot out supplement adrenal fatigue because I've been trying really hard and it's not (laughs) working. I have to slow down. Um, I can even see when I'm losing my train of thought that doesn't happen to me. And I know it's my adrenals. I absolutely know it. So I'm living proof that you can't like, you have to slow down. You have to take time off. You have to do these meditation practices, breath work, massage. You have to get your body in a parasympathetic state more of the time. Sometimes chiropractic can be really helpful too, because you can be stuck in a chronically activated sympathetic nervous system, nervous system overdrive. So Mm -hmm. the adrenals, hugely important lifestyle, nutrition, and then also, um, and then electrolytes. These adrenals, when we have these electrolyte, uh, sorry, adrenal issues where we're pumping cortisol out from every which way, our adrenals are super depleted and are dumping minerals. So we need tons of salt, we need lots of magnesium, and we need a good balance of electrolytes. And that is really, really helpful. Um, There's also things, you know, we want to support the liver, we want to support digestion. Of course, it's a full, whole body holistic thing. But these are like the three important things that I see um, people missing, I would say, when it comes to supporting blood sugar in this way. So... Yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. So in there, you're obviously talking about adding fat to the diet. Um, and so obviously, a lot of people listening are like, that maybe sounds like a low carb diet or a ketogenic diet. Um, but coming from a place of this hyperglycemia and metabolic inflexibility, like do people just dive in like on day one to a super high fat diet? And then, have, you know, like what, what's the process to start? I often describe it on the podcast as like there's a lever that goes between like glycolysis and ketosis uh, and it's actually rusted. You're rusted in sugar burning yeah. type thing and that we need to slowly kind of, you know, lubricate it and recover the rust and sand it back and then before it'll switch over. So what's the approach that you take to sort of, you know, get that lever working again so that, um, you know, getting into a ketogenic state and burning ketones and body fat as fuel actually is successful? Yeah. So um, with a lot of these people with reactive hypoglycemia, exactly as you said, Maddie, we cannot dive straight into ketosis. Some people can, if they're mild enough and it will be a hard first few days, which it was for me, that was my case. I was mild enough that I just pushed through it. Don't recommend, again, that's super hard on your adrenals. I feel like every practitioner says, this is the way I did it. Definitely don't do that. (laughs) I started with a three-day fast. Like I had hypoglycemia. I was oh, yeah, that's a so diving out of it. my mind. I was like <laughs> drunk on, you know, <laughs> low blood sugar for days. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, Definitely. <laughs> I did it for you. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't go well. So, um, 
So what I recommend is really identifying what your current macros typically are and start slowly ramping up the fats because that's going to be important for your digestion as well. If you have eaten a low-fat diet, which anyone of us who have lived through the 80s and 90s, which is probably most of the people listening to this podcast, um, there's been this low-fat dogma that has stuck with us. And so our gallbladders are not able to produce sufficient bile or our bile consistency is too thick and sluggish to work properly because it kind of sits in the gallbladder when it doesn't get used when we're eating low fat. It just kind of sits there and gets thick and viscous. And then when we, if we eat like, oh, Danny said to eat a ton of fat and then they just, we expect it to have like, to be able to digest all this fat, it's not going to go well. And we can get a lot of digestive symptoms there. So that's Mm -hmm. where I work with my clients and make sure that we're supporting fat digestion really well. Um, There's a lot of supplements to help this as well. Um, But Mm -hmm. we slowly ramp up those fats and get our body used to digesting more fat as we're slowly lowering the carbs. So with reactive hypoglycemia, we want to make micro adjustments. So if we're, if we know that, okay, I eventually don't want to eat so often because eating so often is contributing to the worsening of this disease, we can't just say like, oh, let me go from eating 11 times a day to eating three times a day. That will be way too stressful. You will crash. Or if you're in the camp of like your blood sugar is kind of going down a little bit, it might draw you to binge eat, which is very common. I see this all the time. I just spoke with two clients yesterday who are going through this. So it Mm -hmm. causes this binge eating cycle. And it's because we're trying to do too much too soon. So we always want to listen to our body and give it what it needs, but we want to be making these micro adjustments. So if you want to move a meal time a little bit earlier, start with 10 minutes, you know, don't go like, I'm going to close my eating window and do a, you know, a, 14 hour fast when normally you're eating around the clock and eating before bed and eating in the middle of the night. So we want to make micro adjustments and same thing with dialing up the fats and dialing down the carbs. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. I think it's, yeah, because what you're talking about with that, like the the painful process for many people is essentially like a chronic version of the keto Mm -hmm. flu, right? Yeah. People just diving into that, yeah, high fat and not being able to metabolize it. And then there's all these withdrawals. Yeah. So, and, and plus they might just be crashing too much. Their Mm -hmm. blood sugar might just get too low. And so I'm talking about, I'm working with people who are, who have such intense hypoglycemia or reactive hypoglycemia that they're not able to hold a job. They're not able to drive. They can't be alone with their young children. So I work with people on the very end of that spectrum where they're eating not 11 times a day, but more upwards of like 20, 30 times a day. They need to be eating. It's like they're eating and it never stops. (laughs) It never stops. No, it never stops. I had someone's food journal and I I need to count how many times it was. I think it was something like 17, 18 times. And it's just like almost every other hour or every hour, there's something else. And it's like these micro little hits of glucose to kind of keep the blood sugar up. But what that's doing is it's 
chronically creating more and more insulin. And so it is worsening the disease process. So that's why you have to support the adrenals and the minerals while you're slowly increasing the fats. And then you can slowly work on eating a little bit less. The fat is going to help carry you through the next meal. Those strengthened adrenals are going to help carry you through to the next meal and give you a little bit more of a window in when you can, like how long you can be not eating between those meals. And so it becomes difficult to tell people when to not when like how long between meals, it's really driven by your body. And you don't want to let yourself get to the place where your blood sugar is crashing too, too low, because you you really want to get out ahead of the lows, like just when you're really starting to feel it. And for everyone, it will be different. So this is very much geared towards reactive hypoglycemia, the worst cases. So um, if you're somewhere in this mild to moderate, it's much easier. You have a little bit more lenience, but some of these tips can really help turn things around for you, for sure. Yeah, great shares. What about um, people that are on insulin? So obviously, as you gave that Jason Fung example before of like, you know, putting the shirts in. So, you know, adding more tools to just help get more sugar into the cell is kind of like, you know, counteractive it's like keeping up with a crashing train to watch it you know what i mean it's like (laughs) i'm gonna crash as well like um so so like do people have to slowly wind back that insulin as they introduce the fat or you know reduce that medication as they introduce the fat to their diet so i don't work with medication um Mm -hmm. and i would have to sort of default this to the doctors but when i do work with someone who has type 2 diabetes and we're working on the underlying blood sugar regulation um, because Mm -hmm. my license doesn't allow me to work on like treat a disease so we always have to work on root causes you know um just to make sure we're following protocols but when i support when i have my clients support with higher fat and lower carbs and people with type 2 diabetes they don't tend to have these blood sugar lows sometimes mm-hmm. if they get certain medications they can experience them people with pre-diabetes are more likely to have that happen but with type 2 diabetes the blood sugar typically we see is chronically elevated. So they have more leeway with being able to go in a little bit more hardcore and start fasting and start really dropping the carbohydrates low almost right away. You will go through a keto flu and you absolutely, if you are on insulin, you have to be working with your doctor because you could go too low. So you could Mm -hmm. get a hypo because of the insulin if you're not eating all these carbohydrates and you are raising your fats. So definitely work with your doctor, but it's totally doable. And um, hypoglycemia is not a stage on the blood sugar regulation um, spectrum that everyone moves into. Some people never get hypoglycemia. Some people do. I think those are more the adrenal people, um, but not always. There's there's some differences too. So um, they get a little bit more leeway with that. Yeah, amazing. Danny, we, we can do a ton of episodes and we can yeah. just talk forever. Um, but thank you for sharing everything you've shared today. And we're definitely going to get you back. But I know everybody right now is like, I need more of Danny. So where can they find you online? <laughs> So I hang out a lot on Instagram. My handle is Danielle Hamilton Health. I'm also on TikTok, um, trying to, you know, keep up with these kids on TikTok and put my information there. And on Facebook as well, Danielle Hamilton Health. That's my website. And then my podcast, as you mentioned at the beginning, is Unlock the Sugar Shackles. You were a guest of mine recently. That was an awesome episode. Yay. Yay. <laughs> 
So yeah. Amazing. So for everyone listening, I'll put those links down in the show notes below as well. But you sorry, you were just gonna say? Yeah, um, that my program, my signature coaching program is um the blood sugar mastery program as well. And so um our next round starts late March of twenty twenty two. And it's especially helpful for anyone anywhere on that blood sugar dysregulation system, uh, spectrum. So if you're starting with even just a little bit of, you know, urgent hunger and this hangriness and cravings and where you can't lose weight and you feel like the blood sugar is in there, you have no idea where your blood sugar is, um, all the way up to someone struggling with type 2 diabetes or this reactive hypoglycemia, everyone is welcome because it's a very personalized type of coaching. Mm-hmm. So um, it helps everyone. Amazing. All those links for everybody in the show notes below. And definitely check out Danny's Instagram because uh, it's amazing. And I know for a fact I'm in the trenches with Danny and she's relentless at being able to provide amazing stuff for her clients and the people that follow her. So definitely head down to those links. And if, you, if you've enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot, give it a share, put it in your social media story, tag myself, tag Danny. The more people that we can help, the better the world will be. And so to wrap up, Danny. What is one piece of health information you wish more people knew about? I'm going to have to say that I wish more people knew the early signs of blood sugar issues because there's so much, you know, they say, oh, type 2 diabetes awareness. It's like we're aware that it exists, but what are the symptoms? And that's, you know, a present, a manifestation of blood sugar and insulin issues that are developing chronically for decades. So if we knew these early symptoms, we could connect these symptoms, we would be able to reverse it before it even got anywhere close to that. And so just a quick review, if you're having, you know, the shakiness, dizziness, hangriness, um, lightheadedness, nausea, headaches, you're feeling irritable, anxious, when you're hungry and you're not able to skip a meal easily, you have hormone issues, you might have um, high cholesterol, you might have heart disease, you might have um, joint issues. I mean, this stuff manifests, it spreads to everywhere in the body. So if you're having any of those issues or you find yourself, you just have to snack all the time, you can't ever skip a meal, you're drawn towards carbohydrates, there's probably some blood sugar stuff going on. And so it's something that we can we have, we have complete control over it. So we can totally reverse it. We can fix it. And that's a good thing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here. I'm thanks, looking forward Maddie. to, when am I seeing you next? Tomorrow, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, we'll definitely get you back on the show really soon. For sure. Thanks for having me. See you, Danny. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.